Disciple making cannot truly happen outside the context of other believers. You can be saved without the church, but you cannot become a disciple without the church. You cannot move to Christian maturity without the church. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this word striving is an athletic term. In fact, it's the, the very word that we get the word, our word athletics or athlete from. And it has with it this idea of, of contending with another, of straining and struggling against another. Think of, of two people wrestling. And so striving together. You see the togetherness. It's not just striving, it's, but it's a striving together. Now, in our English translation, that could be confused to be striving against one another. We could say it the same way. But in the original, that Paul, as Paul writes it, there's no confusion. He's, he's not saying that you're striving against one another. You're striving together against something else. And the purpose, the goal for the striving, he says, is the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is this striving? I think it's easy to picture here. The Philippian believers, Paul's writing to the Philippian believers and he has in mind that they're striving and straining against these external, pagan, secular forces that are against the work of the church. But I don't think that that's really where Paul is going with that. I don't think that what he has in mind is this striving or straining against something outside the church. I think what he's really getting at is a striving together that is more than anything else, inside the body of the church. So let's think of it this way. Let's think of what is the purpose of a church. What does the Scripture tell us is the purpose of a church? It's rather important, I would say, that we all are really clear on what is the purpose for us to be here. What is the purpose? What's the point? Scripture teaches us that the purpose of the church is one unified purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples. This is what Jesus says in that passage that we that we know of as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is what we know of as the Great Commission. And the command in that passage is make disciples. Jesus commands us to be about the business of making disciples. And that's not just one of the commands that Jesus gives us. That is the final thing that He says before His feet leave the ground and He goes back to the Father to leave the work of the church up to the Spirit. And the command is to make disciples. Now, sometimes we might say, well, well, I thought the purpose of the church was to worship Jesus. Yes, that's part of making disciples. Or I thought the church was to, the purpose of the church was to evangelize the lost. Yes, that's part of making disciples. Or I thought the church was to serve the community in which it lives and meet the needs of the poor. Yes, that's part of making disciples. The overarching command, the overarching encompassing purpose is to make disciples. 
We make disciples by preaching the gospel to those who are not believers so that they may believe and become disciples. And then we make disciples out of them. We can't make disciples out of non-believers. But we preach the gospel so that in, in hopes that they believe and become followers of Jesus Christ. And then the whole purpose of the church is to make disciples. Make disciples of ourself and make disciples of one another. So how is it that we go about this work of making disciples? Or to be clear, God is the one who makes disciples. But how is it that we partner together with God in His work of making disciples of ourselves and our brothers and sisters? How is it that that disciple-making takes place? Part of it happens as we obey the call to proclaim the gospel to those outside of the church, to the lost. And part of it occurs as we follow the commands of Scripture to live a life that does honor to the gospel while unbelievers watch. That is part of it. But those two are, those two things are relatively minor in the grand scope of what it is that we do to make disciples of ourselves and one another. The great majority of the whole process of making disciples occurs right here within the body of Christ. In the Scriptures, we have, in the New Testament, we have these things called one another commands. You probably have heard of these. One another commands. There's a ton of them. And they're on the flip side of your notes there. If you want to flip over and just kind of take a peek at what we're, what we're driving towards here. These one another commands are found all over the place in the New Testament. In fact, 100 times they are found in our New Testaments. And all of that comprises no less than 59 distinct individual commands. We won't go through all of them, but, but they're all familiar to us. Commands like forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. Or pray for one another, James 5.16. Or uh, do honor to one another. Romans 12.10. Or love one another. 16 times we're told to love one another like we are in John 13.34. So all over the place there's these commands for how we are to live and treat one another. And don't be mistaken, the one another is other brothers and sisters within the church. Now these commands, they cover... About a third of them, we're not, well, actually exactly one third of them, speak to how it is that we are to love one another, ways in which we love one another. Another third of them refer to how it is that we are to get along with one another. And then the remaining ones, the bulk of those have to do with how we live humbly with one another. And then they cover various other things. Now, all those things encompass some 59 commands in Scripture. Now, in addition to that, there's a whole plethora of other commands that are basically saying the same thing. They just don't use that phrase, or it's actually one word in the Greek. They just don't use that word, one another. Things like, meet the earthly physical needs of one another. James 2, 15, uh, 14 through 16. Acts, uh, Acts 2, 41 through 46, right? We don't see that specific word, one another, but it's the same thing. Those are all over the place. In fact, if we were to look at our New Testaments and we were to go through and count up all the commands, we would come up with 1,050 commands. Of those 1,050 commands, 
more than 1,000 of them have to do with how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. And so a tiny minority of the time, the New Testament is telling us about how it is that we interact with the unbelieving world, such as Matthew 5, verse 16, So let your light shine before men that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? That's telling us how we live before unbelievers. Or Peter, Peter First Peter chapter 2 says basically the same thing. Or... Um, 1 Peter 3, verse 5, always be ready with a defense for the hope that lies within you. Those are telling us how we relate to unbelievers, but they are a tiny minority of what the New Testament has to say to us. The majority of what the New Testament has to say to us is telling us how it is that we live together, how it is that we love one another, how it is that we forgive one another, how it is that we instruct one another, how it is that we correct one another, how it is that we encourage one another, how it is that we build one another up, how it is that we meet one another's needs, and on and on and on it goes. In other words, that is how we make disciples of ourself and of one another. Those are all the guidelines for how it is that we go about the process of becoming mature in our faith while also helping others to become mature in their faith. So let's think think this through for just a moment. Let's say we take the, the command, Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. So a brother or sister in the body offends you. They slander you. They say something false about you that is not flattering. And they have sinned against you. And you, in your angerness, you just want to go into that place of bitterness that we, that we all like, because let's admit it, Bitterness feels good. Doesn't it feel good to hold on to bitterness and just wallow in it? So we want to stay there. We want to wallow in our bitterness. And then along comes the Word of God that says, uh-uh, forgive one another. And not only do that, but go to them and be reconciled to them, as Paul's going to say to the Corinthian believers. And so there we are saying, well, I just wanted to sort of wallow in my sin of bitterness, but then the Word of God comes along and tells me I cannot do it, that I must forgive them and I must go to them and be reconciled. In other words, I must fill the jar, remember last week, evacuate the old sin, get that out, and I must go to them and be made more like Jesus Christ. In the process, so are they. Or take, for example, the command in Romans 15, verse 14, to instruct one another or exhort one another. Okay, so we're all familiar with this type of situation. A brother or sister in the body comes to your attention that they are, they haven't stumbled upon a sin, but they are repeating a sin. They are living in a sin, and they're comfortable living in a sin. And you know about this. What do we want to do? They ignore it. That's the easiest, that's the most comfortable thing to do. Just pretend we don't know about it. Just let the Holy Spirit deal with them. I'll pray for them, you know. But we just, we don't want to confront. Because that is uncomfortable. Along comes the Word of God that says, uh-uh. Exhort one another. As Paul is going to say, you have the Holy Spirit in you that is equipping you to go to that brother or sister in love. Not in judgment, but in love and exhort them and instruct them to leave behind that sin. You are in the process being 
sanctified, being made a disciple, being matured in your faith, and in the same process, so are they. So you, you follow the pattern? All of those one another commands are how disciples are made. Disciples are made within the context largely of the church. If you are married to a believing spouse, then you can look at your believing spouse and you can see the face of the person who is most responsible for your disciple making. Outside of that, look around the room and those are the faces for whom are most responsible for your discipleship, for your maturity in Christ, for your growth in Christ. All of that is intended to take place in the context of the church and it only can take place in the context of the church. You cannot be made a disciple outside the context of fellow believers. You cannot. Say why? Well, outside of the context of fellow believers, all of those one another commands go away. Without all of those one another commands, we're left with nothing for us to, to go about making disciples of ourselves and others. So all of those one another commands are about making disciples. True, there is the personal individual aspect your intake of Scripture, your personal intake of Scripture, your personal uh, time in prayer, your personal repentance, those things are important, indispensable, yes. But disciple-making cannot truly happen outside the context of other believers. You can be saved without the church, but you cannot become a disciple without the church. You cannot move to Christian maturity without the church. It is only done in the context of forgiving other believers, serving other believers, praying for other believers, encouraging other believers, instructing other believers, submitting to other believers, and on and on it goes 59 plus times. You familiar with the story of Robinson Crusoe? Most of us are familiar with the story of Robinson Crusoe, right? Most of us are, are familiar with the, the movie version, right? If you've ever read the book, then you know that the movie version is only half the story. So Daniel Defoe was a believer, and he, of course, he wrote Robinson Crusoe. He wrote some other things, and, and what he wrote generally had a Christian message to it. The message of Robinson Crusoe is this. The, the point of Robinson Crusoe is the length that God will go to, to capture a sinner that's running away from him. That's the whole point of Robinson Crusoe. So Robinson Crusoe begins as a teenager, and he's this rebellious, independent-minded teenager that wants to run away and go to sea. But his father forbids him. He disobeys his father, goes to sea anyway. Immediately upon going out to sea, there's this incredibly violent storm in which the captain of the ship and all the hands on the ship think that they're about to die. The storm passes. The captain says to Crusoe, you were not meant to be on the sea. They see him as this this, this uh, Jonah figure. You were not meant to be to sea. You need to go back to your parents right now. He doesn't. He's still rebelling in his heart. So he goes and finds another ship and jumps on that ship, goes to Africa. He's taken. He's kidnapped in Africa, taken prisoner. He escapes on another ship which is bound to South America. 
He goes to South America, somehow manages to buy a big plantation in Brazil. None of this is in the movie, is it? I've not seen the movie, but I don't think any of this is in the movie. He buys this big plantation in Brazil and becomes a successful plantation owner. And he decides that he wants some slaves for his plantation in Brazil. So he boards a ship bound for Africa where he's going to buy some slaves. He's shipwrecked again, and that is where... It, the story picks up with him being the sole survivor on this deserted island. That's where it's, it picks up there. So through all that time, Robinson Crusoe is running from God. doesn't want anything to do with God. But then he's shipwrecked on this deserted island for decades. And on the island, within the first few years, God breaks his heart and convicts him of his, of his sin and his need for forgiveness. And he repents and he's converted on the island. And here's where Defoe goes wrong. Here's where the story then becomes unbelievable. Because for the next decades, Defoe pictures Robinson Crusoe becoming mature in his faith on the island by himself. Decades later, of course, he returns to England with Friday. And he's pictured as this mature, wise Christian. The Scriptures tell us it doesn't happen that way. We don't become mature in our faith without other believers. That's the only way maturity in the faith happens, is in the context of other believers that are sometimes hard to love, hard to forgive, hard to get along with, hard to serve, hard to encourage, really hard to exhort and correct. But all of that, is about our discipleship and our growth in Christ and our journey to maturity. That is the unity of the church. That's the struggle that Paul is talking about. Notice he says, striving what? Together. The striving is against the sin in their hearts, which would cause them to not want to forgive that would cause them to not want to be unified and encourage one another. In fact, Paul gets explicit when he says to Yodi and Syntyche, agree in the Lord. Put aside your differences and agree in the Lord. So the striving that he's talking about is is all of us together striving against the sin which tells each one of us in this room to be individuals, to look out for number one, to not expose ourselves to other believers that, that might not understand us or might not be sympathetic, but instead to just protect ourselves, to hold those grudges, to not get out of our comfort zone with one another. The striving that Paul's talking about is a striving against that. Because that is what the body of Christ is for, to make disciples. Disciples of you and disciples of everyone else in this room. Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your church that not only is our support and our encouragement, our rock, our group, our friendships, our loved ones, but it is our means of being sanctified and made to be disciples. We pray your forgiveness for all of those times that we sin against your church by holding those grudges, by acting selfishly, 
by resisting the will of the Spirit to make disciples of us. We pray, Lord, that we would just be filled with the power of Your Spirit to love one another, to encourage and exhort one another to to truly live the life of Christ within the context of other believers here in the, that's called the local body of the church. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.